This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. Hi, my name is Dr. Lou Diaz, pastor of Butte Bible Fellowship located at 2255 Pillsbury Road in Chico. And I'm providing inspirational teaching for you from God's Word each week. Listen to my weekly radio program, Encouraging Words with Dr. Lou Diaz, at 10 a.m. on Saturday or 10 a.m. on Sunday. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. Okay, as you turn in your Bibles, we find here in Acts 22, verse 30, and then we'll go right into 23 to give a context. Paul before the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin is the 70. Those are the rulers of Israel, and they made up of Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious leaders of the day. So the commander wanted to find out exactly why Paul was being accused by the Jews. So the next day he released him and ordered the chief priest and all the members of the Sanhedrin to assemble. Then he brought Paul and had him stand before them. Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, My brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. At this, the high priest Ananias ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You sit there to judge me according to the law, yet you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. Those who were standing near Paul said, How dare you insult God's high priest? Paul replied, Brothers, I did not realize that he was the high priest. For it is written, Do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. Then Paul, knowing that some of them were Sadducees and the others Pharisees, called out in the Sanhedrin, My brothers, I am a Pharisee, descended from Pharisees. I stand on trial because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. When he said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. The Sadducees say there is no resurrection, and that there are neither angels nor spirits. But the Pharisees Believe all these things. There was a great uproar. Some of the teachers of the law who were Pharisees stood up and argued vigorously. We find nothing wrong with this man, they said. What if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? The dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. He ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the incredible dynamic of Paul once a Pharisee, once a member of the Sanhedrin himself, being able to present to this body of leaders of the nation of Israel the hope and the resurrection in Jesus the Messiah. Thank you, Lord. There is a resurrection 
and that is through faith in you. And uh, we pray that you would open our eyes to understand your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we are now in Acts 22 to 23, and today's message is a result of deep study into Acts chapters 23 and 25. And I came up with this question, what is the answer to pain and injustice in the world? You see, there were hateful religious leaders. They hated Paul so much for presenting the gospel of forgiveness of sin through faith in the resurrected Jesus Christ that they would even cooperate in plotting for him to be assassinated. They had Paul struck in the face, as we just read. There was a relentless pursuing of Paul to try to shut him up or shut him down. And there were false charges brought against Paul. There were crooked governmental leaders who would take bribes and do favors, if you know what I mean. And he was trapped in the legal circus of trials. So Paul knew both pain from being punched almost to death and uh, also the pain of uh, injustice, being falsely accused and having unfair trials. But we're going to see an answer. We're going to see an answer, and I want to go through this with you together now. You see, why does pain and injustice exist? For Christians, we know that this was an ideal world that was made beautifully by God. And he said, all is good. And when he made humans, he said, they're very good. He was happy with his creation, and everything went really well. And there was fellowship between humans and God. But then... Man chose to go his own way. Man disobeyed God. He sinned. And when he sinned, that's when all injustice and pain came into our world. The whole world was knocked off kilter. And now we live in the land of thorns and thistles, this side of the resurrection. Can I hear a witness? Can anyone tell me an amen? Brother, I know what you're talking about. There is suffering. There is pain. There is injustice. I've been through it. I know this world's not perfect. It's far from perfect. But for the Christian, God has chosen to redeem pain and injustice to bring good out of pain and injustice. You see, if God eradicated all sin, he'd have to eradicate all people. So in order not to eradicate all people, he's using pain and suffering for a greater good. And here's five greater goods. Number one. Pain and injustice exist for the Christian so that we might share in Christ's sufferings. Number two, so that we may see God's protection in the midst of pain and injustice. 
Number three, so that we may speak about faith in Christ to others. Number four, to satisfy true justice in the end. In other words, it's all going to turn out good at the end. And we'll learn more about that in a moment. And then the fifth reason for the Christian why pain and injustice can be used for good is because it encourages us to have and to sustain a good and clear conscience. Let's look at these five things that are in our passage today. First of all, to share in Christ's sufferings. Acts 21, verses 31, 30 and 31, says this. The whole city was aroused, and the people came running from all directions. Seizing Paul, they dragged him from the temple, and immediately the gates were shut while they were trying to kill him. So did Paul know something about pain? Yes, he did. They were pummeling him, that is, punching him, kicking him. You ever see a mob go crazy on a person, and... Uh, they're doing everything they can to stomp on him and kick him in the head and hurt him and kill him. They almost killed Paul. Paul knew pain. At one time in Lystra, he was beaten so badly, they presumed him dead. And they dragged his body out of the, out of the town and they gathered around him and prayed for him. And he miraculously got up and went back to town, preaching the gospel. And probably Timothy came to know the Lord because of that. Did Paul know suffering? Oh, read about it in 2 Corinthians, where he lists how many times he was beaten, how many times he was robbed, how many times he was shipwrecked. I mean, he suffered for the gospel. And Jesus told him, I'm setting you aside as my chosen vessel, my apostle to the Gentiles, and you're going to learn suffering. But what does Paul say in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10? Paul says, Oh, that I may know the power of his resurrection, but also that I may share in his suffering. You see, we do not complete the suffering of Christ as in atoning for anyone. The work of Christ on the cross is complete and finished and good. What Christ did for us is pay in full for our sin. And we can't atone for our own sin. We can't atone for anybody else's sin. It's paid in full by Christ. But we suffer with Christ until people come to Christ and until people grow in maturity in Christ. So we suffer with Christ for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the church. And that's why Paul was sharing in the suffering of Christ. Because he was sharing the good news of the gospel. And there was persecution. Because he wanted to see the church edified and strengthened and encouraged in the Lord. For all that, there's a price to be paid. There's suffering. There's pain. There's unjust, injustice. There's unfairness. So the share in Christ's sufferings, we also read in Acts 21, 35 to 36, when Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mob was so great, he had to be carried by the soldiers. 
the crowd that followed kept shouting, Get rid of him! Get rid of him! Now, does that strike any chord of remembrance in your mind? You see, like Jesus, Paul was being, they were demanding the death of Paul. With Jesus, they, away with him! We don't want Barabbas, or we don't want Jesus, we want Barabbas! Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Here's Paul, same thing. He's sharing in the sufferings of Christ. Jesus went through unfair trials and he had false accusations against him. Paul is going through unfair trials and he has false accusations against him. Like Jesus, Paul is sharing in the sufferings of Christ for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the church. When you suffer you may very well be suffering pain and injustice because you're standing up for the Lord, because you are in a spiritual battle fighting for the souls of your family members and your friends and your neighbors and your relatives and your co-workers. There's a spiritual warfare going on, and you can't expect not to be attacked, not to experience flack and pushback and pain and suffering for the sake of the gospel. And when you experience that suffering, you are sharing in the suffering of Christ. Number two, we go through times of suffering and injustice to see God's protection. In Acts 23, verse 11, it says, The following night, after Paul was yanked out of the Sanhedrin uh, kerfuffle, where he was almost torn asunder, the Sadducees pulling him one way and the Pharisees pulling him the other way, the Pharisees saying, hey, he's our kind of guy, he believes in the resurrection. The Sadducees saying, let us add him, because he, he believes in the resurrection. We don't believe in spiritual things. The next night, the Lord appeared to Paul and said, take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. That word must have filled Paul's heart with hope and confidence and boldness and assurance. Why? Because God has been faithful. The Holy Spirit compelled him to come to Jerusalem. He was warned that hardships and imprisonment would be it before him. He came anyway to testify about Jesus, the Messiah. He had the most incredible dream of a lifetime fulfilled to preach before his own people from the Temple Mount, no less, and also to preach before the entire Sanhedrin, the leaders of Israel. He was able to be a witness. And he always wanted to go to Rome. And the Lord said, as I have brought you through to Jerusalem to testify about me, I'm going to bring you all the way to Rome to testify about me. Keep going. God isn't finished with you yet. As long as you're alive, he's got a plan and an assignment for you, and it's to testify about him. Tell others about Jesus. Tell others about the hope that you have in your heart and life that keeps you going and growing and getting through tough times. We are to use these times 
to share, to, to see God's protection. Now, what's so important here is that um, everything you read in Acts 23 to 25 could have been far worse. He could have been killed. He could have been torn asunder. He could have been uh, executed. He could have been uh, scourged. When they put him aside, they were going to scourge him, and the process of scourging, torturous beating until you confess your crime, he could have died from the scourging. In each instance, God tempered the suffering and the injustice to accomplish his purposes. So even though you go through pain, and God allows that pain and that suffering and that injustice, think about it, God is keeping it from being far worse than it could be. Can we say, thank you, Lord? It could be far worse. Praise God that he's protecting us supernaturally and that he's going to get us to the other side. We will not leave until our assignments are done. In Ephesians 2.10, it says that we were created in Christ Jesus as his workmanship to walk in good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. Think about Ephesians 2.10. You are God's masterpiece in process. You were made to walk through divine assignments on a daily basis. Assignments that were prepared and planned for you in advance. As long as you're alive, you've got a purpose. To walk in good works which God prepared in advance for you to do. And to cooperate with him in him polishing you off to make you a shiny trophy of his grace. God isn't finished with you yet. He'll protect you all the way. So we speak about faith in Christ. That's why we have this opportunity in our time of suffering and injustice to be a witness for Christ. It says in Acts 24, 24, several days later, Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was Jewish. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. When you go through suffering and pain, it opens doors of opportunity to speak to people you ordinarily wouldn't meet or see. It also gives you an opportunity to tell about the hope that's in you. And we are to be witnesses. You see, it says in 2 Corinthians that we have this treasure in earthen vessels. The transcendent power of God, Jesus Christ, lives inside of us. We're cracked pots. And when the glow, the Shekinah glow of the Lord shines through the cracks, people see Jesus. So when we're hurting the most, when we're struggling the most, and yet we're hanging on for dear life to the Lord and we have hope and faith, they see the glow of Jesus through the cracks and God gets the glory. We have this transcendent power in earthen vessels. We're cracked pots shining the Shekinah glory of the Lord in the midst of our cracks, in the midst of our suffering. 
And it's a testimony. And you've got to add to your testimony words. You've got to tell people about faith in Christ. So every time he had an opportunity, he shared faith in Christ. Now let's just stop and think about this for a second. In Acts chapters 23 to 25, we see that Paul appeared before the Jewish people from the Temple Mount and was almost beaten to death. We see that he appeared before the Sanhedrin and the Roman commander Claudius Lysias, and he was almost torn in half as they pulled arm against arm. Then he appeared in Acts 23, 20, uh, 23 verse, uh, before Governor Felix, who was well acquainted with the way, and his wife Drusilla, who was Jewish. And next he'll be appearing before Agrippa and Bernice. Um, so he had all of these trials to find out what was the reason for him to be, uh, for the people wanting to have him killed. And um, we're going to find that each person said he's innocent. He's completely, 100% innocent. So number four is the key point. Why pain and injustice exist? What's the answer to pain and injustice in the world? Here it is. It's the resurrection. You see, things are not fair. Things are not... <clears throat> comfortable without pain, but thanks be to God, there's a resurrection. There's a resurrection of the good and the evil, of the righteous and the wicked. Guess what? The, rex, the resurrection is the reckoning day. It's the day of accountability. It's when wrongs will be set right. It's when pain will be totally removed from the righteous. We have been saved from the penalty of sin. We are being saved from the power of sin. And one day we will be saved from the presence of sin and all of its array, all of the suffering and the death will be freed from all that because of the resurrection. Praise God for the hope of the resurrection made possible by Jesus Christ who rose from the dead. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, we would still be dead in our sins. We would be, of all people, hopeless, and our preaching would be in vain. But because Christ rose from the dead, our preaching matters, and our sins are forgiven, and we have a future, and we have a hope, and it's without pain, it's without suffering, it's without grief, it's without death. Praise God that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the living one. We have life through Jesus. He's the first fruits. The first fruits is when a farmer would pull up the first part of the crop. And that first part of the crop was a promise of the rest of the harvest. Jesus is the first fruits, the promise of the rest of the harvest that we all shall be resurrected because of Jesus Christ. But not just us. The wicked, the unrighteous, shall be resurrected, but unto punishment, unto eternal death, unto hell. There's going to be a reckoning. There's going to be accountability. The wrongs will be made right. There will be justice to face the injustice that has happened in this world. So you have Paul, Acts 24, verse 15, 
And he says, I have the same hope in God as these men themselves have, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. Now you look at this passage and you say, Lou, the way I read it, Paul was sizing up his audience. He saw the Pharisees on one side who believe in the resurrection and spiritual things. He saw the Sadducees who did not believe in spiritual things at all. They only believed in the physical realm. And he decided to choose this subject to split the room on purpose and, uh, and make a commotion. At first read, you might conclude that. But that's not it. Paul was looking for a point of common ground. And if he was going to plant his flag, he was planting his flag on the resurrection. So he was saying, Pharisees, you're halfway there. You believe in the resurrection, that there will be a resurrection of the righteous and the wicked. So far, so good. Now you have to believe in Jesus, who's the basis of that resurrection, as Messiah. That's you coming all the way to faith. Now you Sadducees, you are sad, you see, because you don't believe in the resurrection. You don't believe in anything spiritual. You only believe in the physical wor world. And you have a material universe without a spiritual dimension. You are hopelessly lost when you do not even believe in spiritual things because there's a spiritual world. It's real. There is an eternity. It's real. You must account for your eternal destiny. Heaven or hell. That's the future. And so I want to just share with you two verses of encouragement. One is from 1 Thessalonians 4. It says, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and after that we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Comfort one another with these words. The resurrection is such a comfort because we're going to see loved ones who have preceded us in the Lord. And we'll never have to say goodbye again. We've said a temporary goodbye, but it's not a permanent goodbye. Praise God, Jesus is coming back. And he's going to take us to be with him. They're, the physical bodies of those who are already with the Lord will be reunited with their spirits, and they will be glorified bodies like Christ's body. You know, Christ, after his resurrection, could go through the wall, the door of the second story, where the disciples had the door locked. He could ascend into heaven, but he could still eat food. A glorified body without sickness, without pain, without arthritis, without any problems. 
you're going to get a glorified body. You're going to be eternally young in heaven. Praise God for the hope we have in Jesus Christ. But true justice will be satisfied. Those who think they're getting away with murder, those who are taking advantage of people, there's going to be a day of reckoning. It's called the Great White Throne Judgment. It's talked about in Revelation chapter 20. There's going to be a time of the resurrection of the wicked when they come before Jesus and the books are going to be opened. And it's going to show that their name is not in the book of life. It's going to show that their works were but like filthy rags and they're going to be thrown into the pit of hell. That's what the Bible teaches. And that's why people don't want to believe in God. If I don't believe in God, no, 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 there's no God, there's no God, then I think there's no accountability. You see that? But if there is a God, we're going to be called to account. And there is a God. And we are going to be called to account. Do not be mocked. God cannot be fooled. What a man sows, that will he also reap. So we can't fool God. Is your heart right with God? Are you? Do you need encouragement? I want to share my spiritual gift of encouragement with you. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. Call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521 to find out how you can connect with our weekly worship services and faith-building messages from God's Word.